this morning, I'm going to start a series of sermons, four or five, four right now, that deal with God's good design. And we live in a time of incredible uh, confusion, a time of uh, disregard for the standards of God in many ways, a time when I don't see my notes. This happened two weeks ago, too. Well, a a time, well, I took them off on my desk. She was sitting there. (laughs) Check the kitchen where they're keeping the cookies. They may be there, too. Anyway, we live in a day of uncertainty, and and to a degree, church, it gives us an unprecedented privilege of sounding a clear statement about what it means to be male and female, and and what it means to have God's good design in our lives. For many, many years in this culture, in, in America, we just assumed certain things, and we didn't really maybe ask the hard questions. And because of that, uh, there was a, a lack of clarity. We need certainty. Augustine died in 430. He was one of the chief teachers of the church. Augustine, uh, for, for years and years and years, PhD in rhetoric, would not consider the claims of Christ, or he would hear them and he would turn aside because he was involved in, in a life of, of blatant immorality. He had a famous prayer that went something like this, Lord, make me holy, but not yet. And so one day when he was just miserable, he was talking to a friend, his friend encouraged him to consider the things of Christ. And so Augustine picked up a a piece of a, a book, and he just opened the book, which is the Bible, to Romans 13. And in that passage, Paul says, let us be done with, with immorality, and let us put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision to satisfy the lust of the flesh. And Augustine said, at that point, um, the light of certainty flooded my heart and all dark shades of doubt fled away from me. The, the light of certainty. And when I read that recently, I thought, we need the light of certainty in our lives. We need the strong reality of Christ in our lives. We need to understand what the Lord has done for us John Calvin, some 1,200 years later, would say that that the biblical truth does us no good if it just flits around in the top of our minds. It must. That's it. Thank you. It, that's it. No. It it must take root in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds. Uh, rootedness. I, I think of, of of this ongoing cry. Calvin said an ongoing cry for biblical illumination under the hand of the Holy Spirit. So we must must continually understand and and hear the Word of God. And I thought of this passage in in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Peter says, he talks about being on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord, and he heard the voice of majestic holiness cry out, this is my beloved Son, hear him. And Peter says this, we ourselves heard this very voice boom from heaven 
for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure. We have something more sure than the very voice of God booming on the holy mountain. The, prof- the prophetic word to-, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, we have something more glorious, more certain, more life-enhancing than even the voice of God booming on the Mount of Transfiguration. We have the word of the prophets. And we should pay attention to this word of prophets until the coming of Jesus. We have scripture. We have a foundation that is fixed and strong and glorious and good. We have God's good design in our lives. And, And so we need certainty. You think about it. There was, there, there's two basic worldviews as Christians look at the world, kind of, sort of. One is what one person said at Westminster Seminary calls one-ism. This is basically everything is part of some undefinable whole. We would call that in the Eastern religion, monism. It's part of some undefinable whole. There are no fixed categories. Everything is what it is. You can only determine what is as you think and reason yourself because there's no fixed truth. Many people say the father of that movement, even though he would never agree to this, was, was Rene Descartes, the French mathematician philosopher who said, ergo cogito sum, which means I think, therefore I am. In other words, because I'm a thinking person, I am. Not because God has created me, but because I'm a thinking person, I am. And people said that kind of opened the door a crack. There became a, a raging flood to, to what we now call postmodernity. I saw a bumper sticker years ago that she said, I shop, therefore I am. Now, now that, that is humorous, but when you think about it, that really is the bastard child of I think therefore I am you you your life receives definition from that which you give ultimate purpose I play sports therefore I am I define myself by playing sports or I love my family therefore I am I define myself by my family and all of those things are idols the other worldview is is the biblical worldview that, that says There is a great God who made the heavens and the earth. And this great God is a speaking God. And this great God who is unchanging has made us in his image. And this great speaking God who has made us in his image, therefore all people are worthy of respect and Christian love, is unchanging Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he has called us to be worshipers. The thought of, I think therefore I am, or a monism, there's a book entitled Souls in Transition, written by a professor of sociology at Notre Dame named Christian Smith. 
And he talks about what he calls them the millennials or Generation Y believe today. Generation Y, the millennials are young people in America born from 1982 to 2002, 20-year Generation Y. And he painstakingly goes through survey after survey, and he shows us what these young people believe. And this is, I think, a quote from his book. He says this. These young people, he said, are educated, they're articulate, they are conversant with various cultures, they're at home with various and diverse lifestyles, they're to be applauded for many, many things. He says, but they seem to presuppose that they are simply imprisoned in their own subjective selves limited to their biased interpretations of their own sense perceptions, unable to know the real truth of anything beyond themselves. And he uses the word imprisoned in their own subjective selves. And in other words, you can't know truth. You, you can only know what you determine to be true. On the other hand, we believe in a speaking God who longs for us to worship him and to give him ultimate allegiance for his glory, for the blessing of other people, and for our own good, our welfare. Listen to these verses. This is just, these are a few verses from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament and, and John in the New Testament. Deuteronomy 5. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. That it might go well with them. Later in the same chapter, be careful therefore to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you are to possess, that, that you may live and it may go well with you. The great creator says, live. Deuteronomy 6, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord your God, that it may go well with you. Then John 10, Jesus says, I, to, he says, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. John 10, verse 7 and following, all who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He'll go in and out, and he will find pasture. And then in John 10, verse 27 and following, Christ says this. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Speaking God, who, who longs for worshipers, who, who have ultimate allegiance to Him. You see, 
Luther said, you get the first two commandments right, everything else comes in, in sequential order. No other gods before me. No images. Worship me only. In doing this research, I came across an article by a man who is part of the monism movement, who doesn't believe in values, who, who said this. He said, for those of you who, who are against open marriages or the redefinition of marriage, he said, let me ask you this question. Isn't it the height of stupidity to believe that one person can meet all of your sexual needs for four or five or six decades? And I stopped. And I, I just thought, well, first of all, I've never thought to ask myself that question. <laughs> but secondly, the answer to the question is, can one person meet your sexual needs for four or five or six decades exclusively in a, something called marriage? If, the answer to that is no. If you are a gland. If you are primarily or exclusively a sexual being and you're someone who believes in monism, the answer is no. But if you were made for worship, if you were made to honor and glorify and worship and swear allegiance to the God who is, you don't ask that question. You rejoice in the created order and you glory in the goodness of God. So let me give you four statements. Go to Romans 1. This is going to be an overview somewhat. Number one, we celebrate... We celebrate the biblical narrative which begins with an eternal God who is unchanging who made the heavens and the earth. I'll never forget, I, I wasn't a Christian. I was a junior in high school and I was working with this, with a, with a, I was clearing land one summer for, to put a factory down. I was working with an old farmer. Now, he may have only been 50, but he looked older than that. Bib overalls, Red man tobacco, the whole nine yards in North Carolina. And the two conversations I remember having with him, one conversation was something like this. He asked me one day, have you ever had possum? And I said, no. He said, best meat I've ever had. I'll never forget that conversation. To this day, I've taken his word for that. <laughs> the second thing I remember him saying is one day I had the clear blue. He, we were out there clearing land. He took his hat off. He didn't have an education he said, Buster, I've come to believe if you accept the first verse of the Bible, everything else falls in line. I went, okay, whatever. Just kill me. That, 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 was, that was the extent of the conversation. I think he might be right. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. God is eternal. God spoke the world into being. Think down to verse 26 and 27. And God said... Let us, the first hint of the Trinitarian concept of God, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the earth, over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. A, a glorious speaking God who is eternal 
and who is unchanging, said, let us make man in our image. So even in our fallen state, there is still the image of God in our lives. It's deeply scarred, but it's still there. And he made us male and he made us female. And so the Baptist faith and message that was adopted in the year 2000 in the midst of these culture wars has a sentence that I think is a glorious sentence in its statement. It says, thus gender is part of the goodness of God's creation. Gender is part of the goodness of God's creation. The Lord Christ says this in Mark chapter 6, or Mark chapter 10 and verse 6. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So as we study the Bible, we celebrate God's good design of making us male and female. There's a woman I'll mention later who is one of the leaders for multicultural studies. And, and in her latest writing, she's an older woman now, she said there may be up to 14 variations of gender association. 14. I count two. I count two. Seriously. Male, female. I started trying to number 14. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get past six. So, so we, we celebrate the goodness of God's creation. We celebrate a speaking God who has made us in his image. But secondly, we live in the midst of sweeping cultural transformation that appears, listen to me, virtually unstoppable. It appears to be virtually unstoppable. In just the last few years, we've had in our military the don't ask, don't tell policy eradicated. We have numerous laws that have been passed and are being considered by various legislative bodies that, that make it a criminal act to, to speak out or to be involved in bullying, which on its, you know, on its face value, you go, well, maybe that's not bad. But the way you define bullying is if you speak out in any way against, for example, homosexuality, you are a bullying homophobe and you should be silenced. We have right now before the Supreme Court an initiative by this administration to overturn the Defense of Marriage Act, which was passed less than 20 years ago, which defined marriage, as the U.S. Senate did, as a, a, a relationship between a man and a woman, period. We have, in the same aura, we have Proposition 8 that was passed by the electorate in California, saying that marriage should be between a man and a woman. They're asking the Supreme Court to overturn those things. And, and quite frankly, when you look at the landscape, it appears to be virtually unstoppable. It's, it's very sad to me. I, I entered into this discussion. Um, I wanted to be very clear. Uh, I had talked to a couple of younger people about this. I said, just pray for me. And some of them said, you know, you, well, this, this is very courageous. And I, I, let me tell you, I like to be called courageous because I'm not this is not courageous. God's design for his people, for the history of the church, with his old covenant people, the Jews, and now with his New Testament people, the called out nations, is this sexual normality is 
intimacy between one man and one woman in the confines of marriage, period. Everything else is outside of God's good design. Everything. Everything. So, so really, all I'm doing is standing up here and saying, this is what the church has believed historically. This is what the Word of God unequivocally, I mean, with incredible, stark truth says. But it's considered to be risky because we live in this age of confusion. Um, number three, we live in an age of confusion regarding gender roles and purposes. Um, there, there are times when I read things, I study, I read journals, I read the news, and, and I, I really, I, I stop and I bury my head in my hands and I think, God forgive us for the culture we are giving our children. God forgive us. God forgive us for raising a generation, really two generations, that hold to I've been taught multiculturalism, which is a fancy word for, for monism. There are no values. There's no ultimate right or wrong. God forgive us. Do you realize now, for some of you, especially in the last service, 1973 really is a long time ago. In fact, that's ancient history. Right after, you know, the Greco-Roman world, 1973. In 1973... The American Psychiatric Association, by a show of hands, removed homosexuality from the list of mental disorders. 1973. That, 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 I mean, just to be honest, I was 19. I was a freshman in college. And, and, and today, this comes from an article in World Magazine, which is a wonderful magazine. It says that the universities today are tripping over themselves to accommodate this new movement. Six years ago, no student health plan covered, quote, gender assignment surgery, close quote. And now three dozen do, with 25 others offering related hormone therapy. Incredible confusion. Confusion, it's almost on the line of a far side cartoon. That's ancient history too. It's no longer more, unfortunately. Where a child can say to an elementary school teacher, I appear to be a woman, but a young lady, but I'm really intrinsically, existentially a man. I want to go to the male bathroom and she should be able to do so. So what is, where are we? I think of the strange case of Virginia Mollencott. Virginia Mollencott uh, was educated at Bob Jones University and then received her PhD and her master's from Temple University. Uh, she was a biblical feminist, more about that in three weeks, a biblical feminist. When I was in seminary, I had to read some of her books and write papers on her books. I did not agree with her then. I don't agree with her now. But, but she, she steadfastly moved further and further and further from, from Scripture and, and until 15, 20 years ago, she declared herself to be a lesbian. She denied Christ. She left her husband and her son. And their latest blog says that she now is an older woman, lives in a retirement village with her partner, where they co-grandmother their three grandchildren, granddaughters, I think it is. And you can find all of her writings if you Google the Pacific School of Theology, Gay and Lesbian Studies. 
confusion. Incredible confusion. Fourthly, we're called to live out and share Christ as we speak the truth in love. We are to speak the truth in love and brokenness. We are to speak it with, with, with grace. Um, this passage. I'll, I'll read the first two verses. Before I get there. 1 Corinthians 6. Or, or, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God or, or go to heaven? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. See, what, what Paul says here is, is, that, is that people who are involved in ongoing, unrepentant, heterosexual misbehavior will not go to heaven because a sign of our salvation is that we want to be a holy people. Yeah, we all, we all stumble and fall. Nobody's perfect, absolutely. But there is a... a the Holy Spirit in our heart that says we want to be the people of Jesus. If people, if someone is a habitual substance abuser without repentance, and they say, "Hey, I just, I, I just, I get high every night, and I, I, I do it every night, but I, I love Jesus." That man is a liar. He's a liar. The truth is not in him. So says First John. If someone just steals every day. He's just a thief. Paul says here, you know, that person, that unrepentant thief, does not go to heaven. If somebody is a homosexual offender, like the heterosexual offender and the drunkard and the thief, they don't go to heaven if they live out their life in an unrepentant fashion. And, and so we're called to graciously share Christ. Look at this. And such were some of you. There are people who we worship here today that have been involved in all types of stuff. And I don't know, a few of you. None of us are sinless. None of us. Nobody. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified you were justified in the name of jesus by the spirit of god your new people and so you come to this this understanding that 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 we need to preach jesus and love people There was an incredible article, again, in the world. It was, it was, I, just, it was just, I thought, man, I would, in fact, I may, I'm going to have this reproduced and we'll hand it out next week if you want to remind me to do that. Gene, okay. Somebody, I'll forget. 
it's an interview with a woman who's a tenured professor at Syracuse, who's an outspoken lesbian, who met a bunch of, she calls a, a bunch of conservative, orthodox, Presbyterian homeschool moms. She, she was homeschooled pejoratively. I mean, it means all type of women who are conservative. It's just, you know, like, comes from like a Puritan. It just kind of covers a lot. But she said she met a pastor and his wife, and they just entered into dialogue with her, and they loved her, and they cared for her, and they listened to her, and she said that she was involved in this lifestyle, and let me just read a couple of paragraphs. It's just very moving to me. The question is, when did you move from being in the parking lot? She said, I'd go to the parking lot. Starbucks was across the church, was across the street from the small church. I would get the, 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 the New York Times and my, my latte and sit there and watch these people go to church. I'd see these, she said, I'd see these 15 passenger vans pull up and this one family get out. And just uh, overstatement. She must be very uh, humorous. But she said, I, I would sit there. And then one day, I says, when did you move from the parking lot into the church? She had met the pastor and his wife. They'd befriended her, had her over to eat. She says, I woke up one morning and emerged from a, a bed that I shared with a woman and got in my truck with my bumper stickers and my butch haircut and showed up at the Reformed Presbyterian Church. What strikes me looking back is what this church had been doing, praying for me faithfully, faithfully. The pastor was sharing with this church our friendship and our relationship and the members were genuinely on their knees praying for me. It's easier to simply be disgusted by a person like me than pray for me. I also brought friends like Jay to church, her friend who's going through, going through a sex change surgery, who had been trained at a Presbyterian seminary and gave her two boxes of books, including the Institutes of Calvin. <laughs> so I brought Jay to church with me. I also, uh, and, and he had probably had the best bass voice there. So that's an issue, right? The church went from being a cleaned-up homeschooling church to suddenly a church with ministry to a lot of broken people. And later it's asked this question. You're right, the conversion put me in a complicated and comprehensive chaos, close quote. What did the church at that point do to be hospitable to a person immersed in what you call chaos? She says this. I had some really burning questions for people. I would go up to my homeschool mom friends and say, look, I have to give up my girlfriend. Why did you give up to be here? Then I started hearing amazing stories, amazing things that made me realize I did not have any more to give up than anyone else. I learned that there were other people in my church who struggled with sexual sin, lust, faithlessness, and they told me that. They took the risk of no longer looking all cleaned up to me. Powerful sentence. They took the risk of no longer looking all cleaned up to me. And I thought, you know, Lord, as, 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 as the world looks at us, do, do, we, do we take the risk of not looking perfect because we're not? Do we take the risk of not looking all cleaned up? We're not all cleaned up. But we've been washed, we've been justified, we've been sanctified by the blood of Christ. So the response is the church, very quickly, let me run through this. Response number one is silence or indifference, God forbid. God forbid. Number two, another response is just to just acquiesce, to throw in the towel. There's a group of people called the Emerging Church. It's kind of amorphous, and some are good, some are not good, some are really bad. But there's people in the Emerging Church that are saying things like, well, really, 
let's accept all types of people from all types of people. See, see the, the problem with that is the Bible says very clearly, if you participate in ongoing unrepentant sin, you are not a believer. The third thing is anger. You just get angry. You just get angry. And you wish that it were 1960 again, except for racism. See, that's one reason that I, I've told you, I don't listen to many talk show people because they're just angry. They're just angry. And they're belittling. We don't belittle people. We treat people with dignity because they're made in the image of God. We don't throw Molotov cocktails. We love people, but we stand in the gap and we speak with broken truth and you only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't get angry. Fourthly, we, we present a humble and persistent worldview that says, Behold the glory of Jesus. Very quickly, our time has gone. I, I, was, I want to look at Romans 1. That was kind of the build-up to Romans 1. So, 35-minute build-up. It's my fault. Romans 1 says the problem is idol worship. Idol worship for the wrath of God, verse 18, is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Very bright people here. See, see, you back up and say, man, we live in a difficult time. The book of Romans, brothers and sisters, are written to a, to a church in a sexually saturated city like every church in Asia Minor, where, where, where the emperor Nero was at least a rampaging bisexual. We believe when Nero's wife died, he found a young man. I will not say that. There are too many kids here. He, he was a pervert in many ways. And see, not only did the, did the church say, we will not say that Caesar is Lord, Paul is saying the Caesar who says he is Lord is futile in his thinking and his foolish heart is darkened. So don't ever say to me, oh, it's a tough time, we can't stand up. Man, the church did. Okay. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, because they didn't honor God and they worshiped things. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. You see, it's not, he's not saying here that homosexuality is worse. It's just that homosexuality is the mirror of what a perverse worship of things rather than God looks like. It says in verse 27, three things. Men gave up unnatural relations with women. Number two, they were consumed with passion for one another. And thirdly, they committed shameful acts with men. Receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error, their lifestyle. Verse 26 says, even the women, even the women did this. And Charles Hodge, the great Princetonian, said that what Paul is saying here 
is that in any culture, the last bastion of decency are women. And he says, when the women do this, there is no hope. The whole issue here, very quickly, very quickly, two minutes. The issue here is good things becoming ultimate things. Sexuality is a good thing in marriage, to be richly enjoyed. Amen? <laughs> okay. So, so <laughs> my kids are with me. Good grief, don't do that, you know? Is it wig you out? No, I'll say that. Good things become ultimate. And it can happen anywhere. For anything. Something as silly as, when I was going through this, I thought about, um, I think it was January the 10th, 1982. I loved the Cowboys. I was in Indonesia with my wife, visiting her parents. No TV to watch in Jakarta. So I was on a shortwave radio listening to the Cowboys play the 49ers for the NFL championship. Third, third and goal. Cowboys raised six points. Joe Montana hits Dwight Clark in, with the catch. I fell to the floor like somebody shot me. No. I couldn't eat the next day. When I can't eat, it's serious. <laughs> I thought, fine, I said, you know, a, I'm hungry, but B, this is really stupid. Now, I'm saying, it can happen a thousand different ways. That's why I think God gave us his, that's why God gave us his word. Parameters, remember the Lord's day. God's word says, be a steward in your tithe. I mean, do, do the Good things become ultimate things. Your marriage can become the ultimate. Your ch children can become ultimate. I've got to go. I was absolutely thunderstruck, and I haven't read much about it except in the Wall Street Journal. A conservative senator from Ohio named Rob Portman, who was on, who was on uh, Romney's shortlist for vice president, probably the number two choice behind Paul Ryan, about four weeks ago came out in favor of homosexual marriage because his son has come out of the closet. And I just stepped back and I thought, this is tragic. I mean, it's not because I've done a sociological study or because I've had a change of mind as I've done this research or because of A, B, and C. And you expect that from a U.S. senator who's supposed to be a thinker. No, his rationale is my son. And I thought of the old German proverb, blood is thicker than water. Brothers and sisters, we have a much higher authority than any genetic predisposition to our offspring. It's called Scripture. And I thought about brave men and women I know whose child has been involved in a, an aberrant lifestyle who wept with them and prayed with them and loved them and embraced them and cared for them, but they said, hear the word of God. We have a higher authority than genetics, than familial history, than geographical location, than in ethnicity is called we're part of the family of God. And we're to live that way. So let me pray very quickly. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you as Savior and King. Thank you that you shout forth time after time in the created order, in Scripture, I am the great creator, God. Worship me. And as we worship you and we read Scripture, 
we, we do so to glorify you, to bless others. And Lord, for, for our joy and usefulness now, because of your shalom in our lives, thank you. So give us clarity in an age of confusion. In Jesus' name, amen.